Well, good morning. Uh, welcome. I wore a sweater today because I knew how cold it was going to be in here. And uh, so I just want to welcome you to CCC. Uh, yesterday, I was shocked when I heard of what happened in Paris, but I was not surprised. And uh, when I hear of things like this, uh, it just makes me long that sin will be put away. Do you have that sense ever? That you just long that one day you can be set free from sin, from your own sin, from the world's sin, from others' sin impacting you? And well, that's what we're going to be looking at today, that Jesus is going to be putting away sin. And so I'm going to read something, and I just want you to, to listen carefully and think uh, and see if you can identify yourself in what I'm saying. The world is ravaged by sin. Just think about it. Relational tensions abound. At work, we hurt or hurt by colleagues. At home, we argue with family members. Even in society, we get, we get ticked to complete strangers. Marriages fail, half of all marriages end in divorce. Adultery seeks elusive intimacy, but ends in feelings of guilt. The children of divorce uh, suffer the most. Their marriages are more likely to fail. They often find it harder to trust and to enjoy marital intimacy. They grow up more cynical and less trusting. Teens engage in endless fights with parents. And so teens, we're glad that you're here, uh, and we welcome you. And parents neglect their kids to pursue selfish desires. Relational tensions go unresolved. Walls of hurt and anger build, and secrets turn into destructive behaviors. Things like porn for boys and men, and eating disorders for girls and women. Teens feel unheard, parents disrespected. It seems that no one is happy. Then there's abuse. Abuse knows no borders. It ranges from verbal abuse, teasing, ridicule, slander, to emotional abuse, abandonment, bursts of anger, or even manipulation, to physical abuse, hitting, molestation, and rape. Our world is filled with terror attacks, crimes, wars, genocide, suicide, abortion, addictions, all of which damage society and us. We long to be set free from such sin and its insidious effects. Then there's death, our greatest enemy. It devastates families. It's no respecter of person. It is the great equalizer. Rich or poor, powerful or weak, old or young, man or woman, regardless of one's ethnicity, death will find us all. Someone when, you're, someone when we are young, but most when we grow old. We shouldn't deceive ourselves, though, because in the end, we will all die. But when will we be free from sin and its effects in our life? Who will free us? Who will ultimately set us free from the effects of sin and evil in our world? Well, every child who goes to Sunday school knows the pat answer, and it is Jesus. And that's the right answer. It's the true answer, and that's what we're going to look at today. So consider this. As much as you and I might really hate sin and the effects of sin on us, Jesus hates it much more. And he will put sin away forever, and he will do it in his way, in his time. And so today we're going to look at how Jesus goes about putting away sin in our world. It's a very sobering message. I'll just be very upfront. So if you've come to be, uh, have your ears tickled or to be humored, uh, this is not the day for that. But Jesus is our hope, and I want us to hold on to that. 
And so let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the book of Revelation. Father, we thank you, and we just praise you that you do hate sin enough to send your own son, Jesus, to this earth to die and to raise from the dead and to then to put away sin. And so, Father, we come before you. We pray for the families in Paris, those who've lost parents, those who have lost children, those who have lost siblings. Father, we pray for them that your church in, in, uh, in Paris would rise up, that those, those who love you would minister deeply to the, the hearts of those who have been affected by these terrorist attacks. And we ask now that we would have a very, very clear picture of who you are, Jesus, and that we would leave this place just in awe of the amazing God that you are. So we give this time to you and ask that your spirit would be our teacher, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, if you take your Bibles, we're going to be uh, looking in Revelation 4. And as you do that, the one thing to be thinking about is that the book of Revelation is a series of revelations given to John so that he can begin to understand and help us to understand and the churches to understand where all of history is moving. And so when we look at Revelation, it is the end of God's historical story. And so as we go into Revelation, we're going to start on, in uh, chapter 4 we will begin to see the consummation of, the, of human history. And as we look at history, it is all moving to a certain point. And though we have our own personal history, the true history, all our histories are wo woven into a greater history, and that's God's history. And so John is now going to be given a series of visions. And so beginning in chapter 4, it says this, And after these things I looked, and behold, a door, and standing in heaven... And the first voice, and I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what, you must, what must take place after these things. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And so John is immediately ushered in his vision into heaven. And he has this picture of God on a throne. And God is on this throne, then it goes on, and it says in verse 10, And the 24 elders fall down before him. And they prostrate themselves before this holy, powerful God. And then it goes on and it says, Worthy are you, God and Lord, to receive praise and honor. And then we get to chapter 5. And chapter 5 is a very critical thing that's going to happen in this for us to understand. But we see God on his throne. It says, And I saw in his right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or a scroll. And written inside the, uh, on the back, it was sealed with seven seals. So you have God pictured on the throne, and in his right hand is a scroll. And the scroll folds from, or rolls from both sides, and it's sealed with seven seals. The scroll is the title deed to the earth. And whoever gets the scroll is the rightful heir to the earth. This part has to be crystal clear. And so whoever gets this scroll is going to be receiving the title deed to the earth, which means that it is theirs. And what is the contents of the scroll is going to help us to understand how the air is going to take the earth back. Is that clear? How the air is going to take the earth back. And so then you go on, and it goes on and says in verse 4, and then I'd be, or sorry, verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth was able to take the scroll. And so John, then in verse 4, begins to weep because there's no one who's going to take away the scroll, which means that we are going to be forever stuck in sin. 
And so he begins to weep. And then in verse 5, and it says, And one of the elders said to him, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, and he will take that scroll. So that's speaking of Jesus, that Jesus is going to take the scroll from the right hand of God. He is the rightful inheritor of the earth, and he will take away sin and remove it from the earth so that it can be restored to what it was originally meant to be. And so in verse 7, it goes on, and it says, and he, became, and he came, and he took the book out of the right hand of, or the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and we had taken the scroll, the elders again fall down, and worship begins in heaven. And so now that takes us to chapter 6. And when we look at 6, it's going to begin to introduce these judgments, because the way Jesus is going to take back the earth is it's going to be through a series of judgments to rid the world of evil. He's going to rid the world of evil. Now this process is not going to be as clean or as nice as most of us would like, and it's going to take place through a series of these judgments. So I want us to, I want to introduce what we need to understand about the judgments. So as we go through these 21 judgments, that you'll have clarity as to what's going on. So the first thing is, I believe these judgments follow the rapture. Okay, I believe that the rapture has happened between verse, or chapter uh, 3 and chapter 4. If that is true, then that means that the church is no longer present. And so as we're reading this, you have to re realize that the church, and from my, what I'm saying, is not present. The second thing with these judgments is that they begin what's called the period of tribulation. And you can think of the tribulation in two parts, in two, three and a half uh, periods. The first three and a half years is simply called the tribulation. The second three and a half years is called the great tribulation. And then the third thing that we need to realize is that there are th going to be three sets of judgments, okay, that's, and there's going to be seven judgments in each of these sets. So the first set of judgments are called the seal judgments, and then the second set of judgments are called the trumpet judgments, and then the third set of judgments are called the bowl judgments. Then the fourth thing we need to realize is that these judgments are sequential. At least this is my understanding. And what that means is when you, when you look at the seven seal judgments, the seventh seal judgment is then going to introduce the seven trumpet judgments. Then when you get to the seventh trumpet judgment, the seventh trumpet judgment is going to introduce us to the seven bowl judgments. And then the fifth thing that we need to understand is that as we're looking at these judgments, think of a woman in labor. Uh, fortunately, I've had much opportunity to do that since we have seven children. And uh, what you notice is that the, when the woman is in labor, that the duration between the contractions gets shorter and shorter, and the intensity of those contractions gets greater and greater. And so as we're looking at these judgments, the judgments are going to, the time between the judgments is going to get shorter and shorter, and the intensity of the judgments is going to get greater and greater. And then finally, the last thing to think about when we're looking at these judgments is the purpose. And again, the purpose is Jesus is going to put away sin and evil from the world. And where he's going with this is he's going to eventually then rule on this world for a thousand years, which uh, is called the millennial reign. And then he is going to bring in a new heaven and a new earth. But what he is after right now is removing sin. So let's jump right in. Chapter 6, uh, verse 1. And then I saw the lamb, and he broke one of the seven seals. And so each time a seal is broken, that means the judgment is being executed. 
And so the first, judgment, the first seal judgment uh, goes on and says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The first seal judgment and the way the tribulation is going to begin is through a false peace. Okay, that the rulers of this world are going to be duped into thinking that there's a, peace, a time of peace, and that's why this rider on the horse has a bow. There are no arrows, and that he is conquering, but there is, there's no military might behind his conquering. He's going to do it through some other means, but it's a false sense of peace. Then we come to the second seal uh, in verse here in verse 3, and he broke the second seal. Verse 4 goes on and says, uh, and it was granted to take peace from the earth. So the very peace that was just established is now going to be removed. And, uh, and that the man is going to slay one another. So the second, one, the second seal judgment is war. And following the second seal judgment, then comes the third seal judgment, and that is going to be famine. And you have the picture of the rider on the horse, this time with a scale, and he's looking and he's saying that it's going to take a day's wages, a denarius, in order to buy a simple amount of barley that was just going to feed one individual. So we go from, and if you think about it, it makes sense. You go from a false sense of peace to then having war and then having famine. And then what follows that is going to be the fourth seal, which is death. Okay, and then so when we look in, in verse 8, it says that the, a fourth of the earth will be put to death. Gotta let that sink in for just a minute. A fourth of the earth. In today's economy, we have 7.6 billion people in our world. That means that 1.9 billion people will die. Now these are people who have not put their faith in Christ. It is judgment. And Jesus is the one who is executing this judgment. Think about that. Jesus, right? The one we were just singing about. 1.9 billion people. I mean, that's got to sober us. Jesus takes sin very seriously. Then we come to the fifth seal, and so we now are going to move from earth, and we're going to move to heaven. And when you get there, you can read in verse 9, it says, And the Lamb broke the fifth seal, and under... and." I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And again, we're in the period of tribulation. We're in the first half of the tribulation. And so we're, I believe we've now moved into the, this, this period of time called the Great Tribulation. And you have these martyred souls who are in heaven, who are in that tribulation period, who have been killed because of their faith in Christ, because they've come to Christ during the tribulation period. And they are now under the altar and they're praying. And what do you think they're praying? Oh, God, forgive them for what they did? No. It goes on, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so the fifth seal is a prayer for vengeance. That those martyred souls are in heaven, and they're asking God, How long until you avenge our death? And God's answer is, You know what? It's going to be a while because there's more who have to be martyred before I end all things. And then you come to the sixth seal in verse 12, and the sixth seal is going to be the fear of the wrath to come. And you can see that in verses 16 and 17. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath 
of the Lamb. Their desire, their hope at this point is simply to hide from God. They recognize where these judgments are coming from. They're coming from God. What should they be doing? I would assume they should repent. But what they're trying to do is to hide. And they're trying to hide from God and from the judgments that are taking place. Now, if you were John and you've just gone through and you've heard these six, uh, you had a vision. I mean, because he's not hearing this. He's actually seeing this going before his eyes. If you've had this vision, at this point you might need to think, you know, I just need a little bit of a break. That's pretty intense, right? And so I think that's where chapter 7 comes in. It's an interlude. And chapter 7 then begins to help us to see that there's going to be this, this, this witness of 144,000 from the 12 tri- tribes of Israel. And I believe it is the Jews, and I think it's referring back to Romans 9 through uh, 11. And that these Jews, these 144,000, are going to be great evangelists. We see that they have tremendous fruit from all nations in verse 9. Once the interlude is done and John gets a little bit of a breather, we go right back into the judgments. And now we're leaving, we're going to leave the, we're going to look at the seventh seal judgment. We said the seventh seal judgment is then going to lead us into the trumpet judgments, right? And so if you look in chapter 8, verse 1, and the Lamb broke the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now the question is why? Why is there silence? Well, I mean, if you're in heaven, right, and you're watching all this take place, I mean, you have to be speechless at the, at the carnage that has just taken place at the judgment of God. And I think that is what's happening. And so they're speechless. A quarter of the world's population has just been destroyed. The, the longing of their hearts to have sin taken away is actually happening. And then it goes on in verse... Uh, two, and it begins, to, so that's the end of the seventh seal, and it's going to introduce these seven trumpet seals. And so it says in verse two, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And then in verse six, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And so with each sounding of the trumpet, we're going to have another set of judgments. And so when the first trumpet is blown, we have a third of vegetation being destroyed, of the earth's vegetation. Again, you just gotta, you gotta listen to this and you gotta just let it grip you. And you might reckon, go home and let this just sort of simmer and think about it. But a third of the earth's vegetation is then destroyed. And then the second trumpet in verse eight is blown. And here we see that the seas, a third of the seas and the sea life is then destroyed third of the vegetation, now a third of the sea life. Then we come to the third trumpet, okay, verse 10. And we see that a third of the fresh water is going to be destroyed. Are you seeing that God takes sin seriously? And then it goes on, and the fourth angel then sounds, and the sun and the moons and the stars are affected. And so these first four trumpet judgments are against the vegetation in the world. God is going to reconstitute our world because even our world is fallen. We live in a fallen world. It too is longing to be set free from sin. And so these judgments not only are against humankind and their sin, but it's against the curse against nature, on nature. And so the trumpets one through four are judgments against the earth. And then when you look at, we're going to look now look at the trumpets five and six where judgments are going to be directed at human beings. And then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, 
and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Now, I believe the star is Satan. He comes down. He falls from heaven. He is cast down on the earth, but he's given a key. And this key is to open the bottomless pit. And the bottomless pit is where the incarcerated demons are kept. And so he opens the pit, and he releases these demons who have been uh, incarcerated for, for any number of millennia to then be released. And think about it. If you increase the presence of demons on the earth, you're also going to increase the level of evil that is going to take place. And so in verse 2, it says, he opened the bottomless pit. In verse 3, and then out of the smoke come locusts upon this. This is how the demons are described. And out of the, in verse 3, uh, the locusts upon the earth and the power is given them as scorpions in the earth to have power. In verse 4, and they were told, now listen to this, they were told not to hurt the grass, nor the green thing, nor the tree. Okay, this is not because God's an evangelist. I mean, uh, an environmentalist, okay? But it goes on and it says, uh, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so earlier in Revelation, those who had come to Christ in the tribulation, they were given a seal by God on their forehead, and those are the ones who are going to be spared. Okay, it's almost harkening back, if you think back to the time of Moses, when they were taking the people out of Israel, and they, wanted, uh, they brought the curses upon Pharaoh, the Jews were separate from those. And that's what's happening here is that, that what is going to happen in this fifth trumpet judgment will not happen to those who have come to Christ during the tribulation. And then in verse 5 it says, and they were not permitted to kill anyone, but only to torment them for five months. So there's going to be a five-month period in which these demons are given free reign over the earth to torment those humans who have not put their faith in Christ. Okay, and at this point... Again, what are you thinking? If you're, if you're on the earth, or if we're on the earth, or whoever's on the earth at this time, you've got to at some point be thinking, you know what? I just need to repent. But this is what they say. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death will flee from them. And so again, there, there's this hardness of heart that will keep them uh, just moving through these, this time of tribulation. But they want death more than anything, and they cannot find it which then takes us to the sixth uh, trumpet judgment, starting in verse 15. And four angels who had been prepared for that hour and day and month and year. So think about it. God has prepared these four angels for this very moment in history. And it goes on and says, uh, were released so that they could kill a third of mankind. So they could kill a third of mankind. And how did they do it? And it says the number of the armies of the horsemen were 200 million. And again, I think these are those demons that were released from the bottomless pit. And that the demons then, uh, under this, the guidance of these four angels, are going to bring this judgment about where a third of humanity is now going to die. So we had a quarter, and now we have a third. If you add a quarter and a third together, you get a half. That means half of the 7.6 billion people on the earth are now no longer on the earth. Well, they're on the earth, but they're dead. Okay, and so in verse 20, it says this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. So even as they see all this judgment and they recognize the judgments from God, they refuse to repent. Then we look again, and so John's doing this. I mean, just as me, I'm reading this, and I've been reading this for, for weeks now, it just really burdens your heart, and it just wears you out. And John now is going to get another interlude. God's going to give him another break, and he's going to say, hey, 
Hey, let me give you a picture of this, this tiny scroll. You're going to put it in your mouth. It's going to be both sweet and bitter. And the idea that it's sweet is the fact that I am getting rid of sin. It's bitter because of the carnage that is left behind as he gets rid of sin. And then in chapter 11, we have the two witnesses that are introduced. And these witnesses are, again, going to be great evangelists and going to bring many people to Christ. But now we have completed the trumpet judgments. We're now going to go to chapter 16, if you've got your Bible, and we're going to look at the, the six bold judgments. And again, we are now, we've moved through the seal judgments. We've moved through the trumpet judgments. We are well, well into the end of human history as we know it and the world as we know it. I believe we're, when we do the bold judgments, we're probably in the last weeks or days of the earth as we know it in its fallen state. And so keep that in mind as we go. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out upon the earth the seven bowls, the wrath of God. And so the first angel goes out and he pours out his bowl on the earth and it became loathsome and malignant sores on the people who had the mark of the beast. So those who received the mark of the beast so they could do business in this world and conduct themselves in this world, those people are singled out and they are given these these sores, these festering sores that they will not be able to be healed from. Very, very painful. Then comes the second bowl judgment. The second bowl judgment, then when we're also looking at the bowl judgment, these bowl judgments are global. They're, they encompass the whole world. So we see that all the seas of the world now are destroyed in the second bowl judgment. And then we get, to, yeah, it is definitely worthy of crying about, isn't it? Then when you get to the third bowl judgment, we see that the fresh water is going to be destroyed. And then you get to the fourth bowl judgment, and we're going to see, it says that, uh, and the fourth bowl judgment is upon the sun, and it's given to scorched men with fire. So now we have the fresh water is gone, the sea life is gone. Think of the stench of all the, the fish in the sea that it's rotting. We're at the very end of, of, of human history as we know it. At that point, you'd think, okay, you know, you're wrestling your big brother, and at some point, you're going to say uncle, right? But it says in verse 9, and they did not repent. So even with all that's going on, their hearts are so hard that people are still not repenting. And then the fifth bowl judgment comes, and it's darkness in verse 10. And the, the, it's just dark, dark. It's where you can't see. And the pain is there from the previous bold, the very first bold judgment, and they're longing for, for just end this, get this over with. But again, it says in verse 11, and they blaspheme God at this point. They're angry with him. They shake their fist at him, uh, the God of heaven, and their pains and their sores, and they did not repent. They're just mad that God is, is creating such havoc in their lives, but they don't repent. And so that sets the stage uh, for then the final one is the, the final tr uh, uh, bold judgment is that the, even the air is done. And so if we look, we've got the, the sea and the stars and the skies. God is cleansing the entire world of sin and he's getting rid of it. And so in verse 17, he can declare, it is done. Okay, it is done. Now, meaning that his judgments are done, but the final act of the of this whole thing has not quite taken place, and that takes us now to chapter 19. And if you look at this, it goes on and it says, and after these things, and if you look at chapter 19, one through six, there's gonna be four hallelujahs. So in verse one, hallelujah. Verse two, hallelujah. Verse three, hallelujah. 
Verse 4, hallelujah. What are the hallelujahs about? God, Jesus, has put away sin. He is putting it away. We're in the final stages. We are finally going to be set free. And so verse 11, and I saw heaven open, and behold, on a white horse, he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Is that the picture of Jesus you have? That is not the picture of Jesus I've had. But he is ready, and he is ready to wage war. In verse 15, and it says that he, he will strike down the nations. He will rule with a rod of iron. Verse 17, and then I saw the angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, come and assemble for the great supper of God. And you'll see what that means in just a minute. But the, even the birds are going to come, and they're going to assemble for this great supper. Verse 20, then the actual final battle of God, or of Jesus, who is coming from heaven, and the... Uh, Forces that are coming to assemble against him on the plains of Megiddo are going to take place, and the battle of Armageddon takes place. In verse 20, and the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet. They are cast into the, uh, the bottomless pit, or the lake of fire. And then, in verse 21, and the rest were killed with a sword that came in from his mouth, and he sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with flesh. And the reason why the birds are going to enjoy a supper is that the rest of humanity is about to be destroyed, those who have the mark of the beast, who have not put their faith in Christ. And that is the end of human history in our world as we know it today. The entire world's population is gone, is dead, those who have not put their faith in Christ. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, at that point in time, you no longer are on this earth. You have been killed. Jesus has executed the entire world. Well, he had to do that, right? Because if you're going to rid the world of sin, you have to get rid of the sinners. And that's what he's done. And he now is preparing for the millennial reign. Sobering? Yeah? I mean, I think, you know, many of us like the Jesus who's fun. He saves us. He's love. He's peace. He's joy, right? Well, this is a different picture of Jesus. And my kids, the reason why this all came about, and then we're going to get into the application, is we were sitting at dinner one night, and my kids are like, hey, Dad, why don't you tell us about what the end of the world? And I'm like, man, you know, I don't know much about the end of the world, and really I don't care because I'm living right now and I'm not living there. But then the Spirit just said, Carl, you need to really understand what in the world's going on in this world. Because if you're going to live today, you need to know how it's going to end tomorrow. How are you going to live today if you don't even understand the ending? And so that put me to studying. So I thank my children for their continued uh, encouragement to keep me uh, honest. Okay, well, the question is why, so what? Now, we've looked at all this. You've made me feel really depressed. I came to church. I thought I was going to be encouraged. All you've done is depress me. So now what? Well, let me try to give you the so what. First, the reason why these are important to study is this. First, it shows our need for salvation. In In a group this size, guaranteed there are some of us in here who do not know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Okay, do not be, this, this, the, the warning I think from this passage is, do not be like those who continue to hear judgment after judgment after judgment, and they just got angry at God. No, what's the, the, the point here is repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus 
Because right now, he's not on his horse. He's not the great warrior, the executioner of the judgment. He's a savior. And he is calling you. And he is pleading with you. Admit your sin. You are a sinner. You do things that violate other human beings. You do things that you don't even want to do. Right? Repent. Turn from those things and turn to Christ. And when you do that, you will receive salvation and you will be free from judgment. So the first message, I think, for all of us is the fact that it shows us our need for salvation. The second one is it reveals God's cosmic purpose. And again, I believe if we're going to live today in a way that's pleasing, in a way that really taps into why we are even on this earth, we've got to understand the end of the story. If you don't understand the story, end of the story, and I don't understand the end of the story, how in the world are we supposed to live today? It makes no sense. You know, otherwise, we're just sort of doing random events and hoping that something good's going to come out of it. Okay, that is not what God is about. God is marching a plan through history. And if we can understand the end of that history, then we know how to organize our days today. And it also gives us hope that God has a plan. You know, he's not just up there thinking, oh, oh gosh, what are they going to do? And now, how am I going to counter? It's not like this giant chess match. You know, it's, oh, they did this. Oh, I don't know what I should do. And it's, you know, the Holy Spirit and Father and Son get together and they all start talking. And they go, oh, we know what to do now. And we can counter their move. But that's not what's going on here. Then, the third thing is it helps us to reassess our values, right? Because many of us just live every day and we just sort of plod along and, you know, we just, we're not really thinking about eternity. But this should help us understand there is an eternity, and history is moving in a direction. And there is an end to it all. There is. And as a result, we should reassess our values. What am I truly living for? Who am I living for? Why am I taking up space? What does it matter that I am actually here? Why does it matter that you are here? Young people, you are young. Do not waste your youth. Seriously. Let this grip you. Invest your entire lives into setting people free for Jesus. Or otherwise, you're just wasting your time. Now, you can do that in any number of ways, right? You can be an artist, you can be a businessman, you can work in an embassy, you can be a missionary. It doesn't matter what you do. That, those are just jobs. But God is going to place you in a specific geography. And in that geography, you need to make a difference for Jesus. And so that's my uh, encouragement and exhortation to you. Uh, then the next one is it motivates us to live holy lives. Right? Because God is going to get rid of sin. It's just a reality. Jesus is going to rid the world of sin. And so we're told that we were created to live in a holy manner. We were created to live in the image, as the image of God. And so God is in the process of, of transforming us. And so we don't want to fight that process by bringing in ugly uh, sinfulness. It also motivates us to witness. I don't think any of us can sit here and listen to this. And really, if you think about who lives in your neighborhood, if you believe that there is a final judgment, right? How can you possibly pass your neighbor and not feel burdened to say something like, hello? That's the first step, right? Many of us just walk past our neighbors, wouldn't even know them. But try this one, hello, you're going to hell. <laughs> but there's good news. Right? And so take the alpha course. So you know what your faith is all about. Learn how to share your faith. 
Get some tool that will help you to be able to express who Jesus is to help a person to move from darkness into life. And finally, it motivates us to worship. Worship is responding to the greatness of God, right? And as we look at Revelation, we've got to be gripped by the fact that God is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign Lord over all. And that that should cause our hearts to worship. And so if you've heard this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I mean, there is a part of this that's very sobering. Well, that, that feeling of sobriety is worship. Because that's your response to who God is and what he's doing. Now, there's other times you're going to be very joyful. That also can be an act of worship. You could be angry. That can be an act of worship. You can be excited. That can be an act of worship. Worship is simply responding to what God is doing and responding to who he is in doing that. Now, I want to end with a picture. This was my picture of Jesus growing up. I did not grow up in a Christian home. But it's this white dude with long hair. He's got blue eyes, and he's just sort of feminine looking. I mean, that really was. That was my picture of Jesus. And I believe that for some of us, that's your picture of Jesus too. That is not Jesus. That is not the Jesus we just looked at. Absolutely not. Jesus is a warrior. He's a man's man. He doesn't like sin, and he did something about it personally. What did he do? He died that we could be given life to pay the penalty for our sin, to set us free. But one day, he is going to come as the great judge and executioner. This is not the Jesus that we just read about. So, let me pray, and may God help you and I to really respond rightly to who he is and what he is doing in this world. Father, thank you for your amazing love. Jesus, I thank you that you have corrected me in my picture of who you are, and please forgive me that I have made you small and that I have neglected an element of your power and your majesty, your glory, your absolute hatred of sin. I pray for each of us that we would rejoice that you uh, love us enough to put sin away and that we would enter into that process with you. So, Father, I pray for those who don't know you, they'd come to faith. I pray for the rest of us that we would enter into a deep sense of worship, knowing who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.